Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. So Sherry, today we have Brian Gillette joining us. Um, and for our listeners, um, they may remember Layla Taraf joined us a little over a year ago talking about her book. And she recently called me up and said, oh my gosh, Brian's book is amazing. You've got to get him on the podcast. And so super, super excited to have Brian joining us today. Um, and Brian, I was noticing we, you and I have some similar history, um, long history in different HR roles and uh, kind of a long sort of passion and focus for learning and org development, maybe a teeny bit of wonderlust in both of us. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of where it ends. After that, um, Brian goes his own path. And for our listeners, just so you know a little bit about him, Brian is an, is an endurance athlete. He has launched his own nonprofit called Bridge of Opportunity and has deep involvement with other nonprofits, which I want to hear a little bit about. But most importantly, just yesterday, congratulations, hooray, Brian's brand new book, Epic Performance, Lessons from 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. Brian, we are so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Anne. Thanks, Sherry. It's, it's, it's nice to meet you guys. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I've enjoyed listening to a number of the episodes. And yeah, Layla is Layla's a great, a great person. Awesome. Uh, tremendous amount of respect for her. Fantastic. Well, um, we are so happy to have you here. And, you know, I just gave this super, super high level of kind of who you are and a little bit about where you've been. But I'd like to hear a little bit more about your journey, what brought you to writing this book, what brought you, you know, where you grew up, a little bit of everything. Just give us some some overview of your perfectly imperfect journey. Yeah, I'll be more than happy to do that. So, you know, first of all, when if, if you're ever going to talk about journey, you got to understand, okay, where where am I now? And you touched yeah. on a couple of things. So I'm a father of two teenage boys um, that uh, I'm sure we'll get into. How do I stay grounded? That's one way. <laughs> my my wife is just this wonderful person that whenever I had this great adventure, she'll always say yes. We live in the San Francisco Bay Area. So Anne, you and I don't live too far away um, from each other. And, and I run my own consulting practice around leadership development. Um, and, and, and there's a couple of things that I like about that. One is I get to do stuff I absolutely love. I also get to balance out my schedule so I can see my boys grow up. I can spend time with my wife. So that, and, and as you said, I have, I had a book that uh, just came out yesterday. So that's kind of where I am today. Now, one of the things I like about what you guys do with your podcast and the question is it's not just kind of tell me about yourself. What do you do? <laughs> um, and, and so it's like, okay, this journey, I got to go back and think about what was my journey here. And, and it really, where, where it took me back to is college and, and a couple of courses I took and just some experience I had. One of the courses I took it was a management course and the teacher, the professor was using this material that you might be familiar with called seven habits of highly effective people. Uh -huh. oh, yeah. And at the time, none of us knew what it was because it was, it was probably 1988, 1989. The book came out in 1989. And so this was, this was brand new material. And our professor knew Stephen Covey and brought him in to talk to the class. 
which was really cool. But at the time, it's like we had no idea who this big bald guy was at the front of the class. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and so as I was listening to some of the things that he was talking about, and then a year later, he's the biggest thing in the world. As I, as I was listening to some of the things that he was talking about, about you know setting out what your values are, what's important to you in your life, what do you want to accomplish, not just next year, but in 20 or 30 or 40 years, that really resonated with me. And I, and I was also at the time doing this internship for a, another woman that was running her own consulting or leadership consulting business. And, and her brother also had part of the business where they did corporate videos. So if you've ever been to any training class, which I know you guys have, <laughs> and you've watched those videos, yeah, they were producing those types of videos and they were doing work with like people like Ken Blanchard. Wow. And so to be able to meet them and see what they were doing, it kind of really got me intrigued in this thing around leadership and development or employee development. Um, and I remember writing kind of that life, that, that bucket list idea of things that I wanted to do. Write a book was on that list. Hmm. So back in so, college, you know, it was back, it was on your back list. In college, wow. about 30, yeah. About 30 years ago, it was to like go to all seven continents. It was to go to all 50 States. It was, and then writing things about values and adventure was one thing that I wrote down. And so that kind of led me down this path. And, and then there were, there were a couple other things that I thought, you know, helped frame how I got to where I'm at. I remember I was dating this woman at the time and I was talking to her mom and her mom was probably in her fifties. So probably the age I am now, you know, kind of in our mid fifties and she hated her job. Oh. She was, she was a nurse. She hated everything about it. She hated the work. She hated the people. She hated the hospital, but she lived in this small community and with one hospital and if she was going to change jobs, it was going to be hard. And she, if she were going to go to a different hospital, it'd have to, she'd have to move. And she just didn't have the financial means to do that really easily. And I thought, I never want to be in a situation for a long period of time where I hate what I'm doing yeah. for that I can't move. Right. And, and you that feel stuck. Really kind of, yeah. yeah, you feel stuck. And that really framed, it's like, okay, I, I control, I, I, I do look at, I control my situation. And you know, granted, we can all be you know, not like what we do for a period of time. Yep. But when it's three, four, five, six years, uh, you got to start thinking about doing That's something. Right. So, I, so I think, I mean, a lot of those things going back to college kind of framed this path to get me to where I am, am today. Well, I'm just really, really struck by how at such a young age, because you're in college at this point, right? Right. And so at such a young age, A, you get exposed to a couple of real luminaries. Even right. if they weren't lum quite yet luminaries, they were on yeah. their way to being luminaries. That's right. Yeah. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you got exposed to just somebody living a very ordinary life. It mm. makes me think of the quote around lives of quiet desperation. Mm. And you got exposed to that super early on. And I'm just, I'm curious, do you look at those events as, yeah, these were really life-changing moments and it altered my path or it just helped you stay on the path? You know, that, I don't know if there, there was one specific things. I think there were a couple things that kind of led me down that path. You know, my dad um, owned his own business mm. and it was a little bit about, you know, he, you know, he was doing construction and in the early eighties, we hit the recession and it was, I mean, it 
decimated his business. And so he had to shift. And so I saw that reset with that recession did. I saw how hard it was for him. And so that helped frame me. But I also saw that at any time, you know, when he wasn't out on the job site, his office was in in our house. At any time, I could just go walk down and talk to him. Hmm. And I could just sit down and just kind of chat. And he would, we would just chit chat for a bit. And, you know, I'd go probably bug him for a little bit. And then, <laughs> and then I would come upstairs. And, and so I thought, God, that I have a really good relationship with him, even to this day. And, and I think it was partly that. And so that was one of the other reasons why, okay, if I own my business, my kids can do that. Yeah. And, 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 and just, uh, you know, a couple hours ago, I was, I was sitting in my office. I was working on a couple of things and my, my 13 year old son comes in and he goes, dad, you want to go play ping pong? <laughs> it's like, I, you know, I knew I had this meeting. I had another meeting in about a half hour and I thought, okay, yeah, we can go play for about 20 minutes. And so that's great. I have that opportunity. Yeah. That's awesome. And so it's like, we're only, we're on this earth for a certain amount of time. That's right. And how am I taking advantage of the time that we have on it? Yeah. Well, that really makes me think about some of the adventures that you've been on and, and some of that desire to go to all 50 states and, and all seven continents. And so I'm, I'm curious about some of your travels and how you're kind of how you are applying this theory of really being, you know, grabbing life for all it's worth. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that travel and what you've learned through all of that. So in, in, you know, back up to, to 2005, or even probably a year earlier, the company I was working for had just gotten acquired and it was a phenomenal company that I was working for. I had a great manager. I loved everything about a great executive team and I was learning a lot. And then we get acquired and I knew it's like, it's not going to be the same. And I had always wanted to, to travel around the world mm-hmm. um, and take an extend. I actually wanted to cycle around the world. And I started to date, I was dating this one woman it wasn't, I mean, we'd only been dating a couple months and I threw out the idea that, you know, I, I want to go travel around the world and, you know, like just take a, a long sabbatical, you know, seven months or so is what I was thinking. And, and I saw a light came on with her and I thought, okay, you know, if, if she's up for it, we'll do it together. And we were either, you know, it's, it's, it's a great way to kind of get to know somebody because <laughs> we, we knew we are either coming home and going separate ways. <laughs> so right. we're coming home on different planes or we're going to come <laughs> on the same plane and get married. And, and so we went, we went and traveled around the world for seven months. Mm. Um, and it's not something that's common to do in the middle of your career yeah. for some, for people in the United States. Yeah. But it was, it was one of these things that it's like, you know, I can, I have the opportunity or I, I can make the opportunity and the question I asked myself, and I ask this question a lot is in 20 years, am I going to regret not doing this? Right. And the answer it's like came really quickly. And so at the end of that trip, I had proposed her on the Great Wall of China toward the end. Um, fortunately, she said yes. And, <laughs> and we came across a family of four that they were traveling with their kids for a year. Mm. And I remember sitting in a, in a cafe in Prague and we were talking about this and we knew we would, we'd come home and we'd have kids and it's like, wouldn't it be cool to do that? And so at that point, and we kind of figured, okay, the best time to do it is when they're at the end of elementary school. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as our second was second one was born, they're two years apart. Exactly. It's like, okay, we're going to do that in 2007, summer of 2007. And so this was, you know, like 12 years earlier. Right. 
You were having the discussions about this way before, you know. It's, yeah. yeah. So, you know, or probably, uh, yeah, it, we were having it well beforehand. It's like, okay, we're setting a goal, even though this goal isn't, I think it was like 10 years away. You know, we're going to go travel around the world. We're going to take our kids out of school. We're going to travel for a year with them. And, and so it all goes back to kind of when we were talking about that covey and setting your, your, your values and what's important. It's like, okay, I value adventure. And, I, and, and again, I asked that same question in 20, 30 years, will I regret not doing this? And it's like, right. came really quickly. So a couple of thoughts are going through my, my mind. So our last episode was all about saying yes to saying yes. And I'm listening to you and you are really good at saying yes, right? Saying yes to things that are important to you, saying yes to things that you care about. And you also made a comment on, I listened to a podcast, you were on the Learning Nerds podcast, and you had made Mm. the comment on that podcast around, if you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. And then you cop to the fact that for a long time, you didn't ask because you were afraid of hearing no. Mm. Right. And so I'm really curious about sort of how that played out in your life and in what ways that helped you kind of grow and evolve. Because there's a lot of yes to your story. And I was really struck by that. Yeah, there's a lot of yes. You know, I I say no more to my kids than I should. Mm -hmm. And and my wife's always saying, "Hun, you you should you should just say yes. Uh, So it it is you put an adventure in front of me and I'm I'm probably going to say yes to it. And fortunately, I'm married to a woman that will also go along with that. You know, as I as I wrote the book and I interviewed these hundred people, kind of hundred executives and endurance athletes. It's, it's one of the things that came out that they do really well. Mm. And, and I'm not sure I've done it really well all the time because um, I've held back on things. And, and so as, as I talk to them, you know, they, it's like, yes, we, we will go ahead and, and we will do that. And so I love that. And, and so as, as I finished writing the book, I thought, God, you know, I need to be able to, to be able to ask more. And it's funny because when I, when I set the idea to, to write the book, and this was back in 2018 with the ideas, I, I thought, I, I, I've got my ideas of what you know, can get somebody to epic performances and kind of be able to think big, but I want to go out and I want to find that out from other executives and other ultra distance athletes. And that's why I set the goal of a hundred people. Hmm. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was somewhat of a random number, I, you know, but a hundred people gives you, it gives you, you get a lot of information, a lot of sure. stories with a hundred people. And I thought, how many people am I going to have to ask in order to get a hundred yeses? Hmm. And what surprised me so much is I had to ask, I only heard no twice. Wow. Right. And were these people uh, you knew? Or so how? about 60% of the people I knew or was somehow connected. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a stretch, but then it was people where, you know, I would talk to somebody and they'd say, Hey, you ought to talk to this person. Okay. So, so a lot of the people I didn't know. And, and the two people that said, no, one of them said, you know, now is just not the right time. There was some family issues. It's like, okay, I get that. Yeah. So only one said no, in a, in a sense, had a, a kind wow. of a really, and, and it really, it really got me thinking. So, I mean, the book was, the book helped me learn a lot, but it really got me thinking, if you don't ask, the answer is no. That's right. Um, yeah. So how, if, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. If you ask, the answer might be no, 
but it also might be yes. And so that's where it's like, okay, that that's helped frame my mind a little bit more. So, so even writing the book, it was, uh, you know, it was a learning experience for me and just kind of what, what happened. Even the process. Yeah. And then did you also find that these were people that tended to say yes more often or? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the reason, so the, the, the folks that on the business side, they were generally C- XO. So they were the CIO, CHRO, CTO, you know, the CEO um, or founders of companies. So 75% of the people were in that world and the business side. And then the other 25% were in the ultra distance athletes. So minimally, these people would have had to do an Ironman. Um, you know, I talked to, I talked to two people who did seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Wow. So you know, I, I, I've done some, what I consider some, some big things, but then I'm talking to people that have like make what I did small. <laughs> right. right. Cause everything so, is always relative, right? It yeah. is all relative. And I, th- I mean, that's another important thing is, you know, it's good to see what other people do, but it's not necessarily how you should always measure yourself. That's right. Um, right. you know, I, 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 it's like, okay, I, yeah, I did eight marathons back to back, you know, around a run around Tahoe and, and it's a pretty big thing. Um, there are people that have done far bigger things and sure. it doesn't minimize what I've done. That's right. That's but right. It also doesn't minimize the person that may be saying, oh, I've only done a marathon. It's that's like, right. That's still pretty impressive. Only 1% of the U.S. population's done that. I mean, frankly, the person that laces up their tennis shoes and does their first ever, you know, fun run 5K. Right. Super, super impressive to me. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to a, a woman, you know, she's a client of mine I, and she told me and, and I, I wasn't working with her on sports stuff. I was working with her business or company and she told me, hey, Brian, I'm thinking about um, running a half marathon. And I said, that's great. I said, um, next time I we're going to talk in about a week and a half, I'm going to ask you which one have you signed up for? Uh, Accountability. Like, that is her biggest thing. Yeah. And I and it's like and, and it's a big thing for her. And it's like, that is really, really cool. So I'm curious, so far, your story is super interesting, filled with adventure and sounds like a lot of smooth sailing and <laughs> right. Like I was in college and I figured out my values and I figured out my goals and I've been on path to achieve those things. And unless you're one of the like only people on the planet who gets to have <laughs> everything be smooth sailing, um, if, in, in which case, if you are, then we should just end the podcast right now. <laughs> we're, right? we're done. Yeah. We're done. Oh, no, everything's been perfect. Yeah. Check the box. Check the box. This is like great. Too bad this isn't everybody else's story. Um, but I, I, I'm also curious as to what have been some of the moments that didn't go so great and where you learned something really important or it actually turned out to lead to something else really good. I, I'd just be really curious to hear more about that. Yeah, no, I haven't had any issues. Yeah. <laughs> Every, every, everything's gone smoothly. Cheers <laughs> to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So, and, and then we're done. Um, you know, I think the biggest one, and I don't, I don't talk a lot about this. And I don't think I've talked about it on any podcasts is, so I went through a divorce mid nineties, kind of late nineties and married to this woman. We were married for a couple of years. And then she just, she came in, she said, I don't want to be married. And I had found out she was having an affair. It was, it was devastating to me. Mm. And because it wasn't my choice. And so I had no control of the situation. And it was one of these things that it's like, 
a couple things. Will I, you know, how am I going to get through this emotionally? And then the other one that, you know, I, I started asking later is, can I ever trust a woman again? Hmm. And, and that one, that one sat with me for a mile. Cause you know, eventually I, I knew we, you know, we didn't have kids, uh, but I knew I wanted to have kids and, you know, I eventually wanted to be with somebody and it's like, okay, am I going to be able to trust somebody? And so, you know, I remember, I remember just being in this fog for, a, you know, pro- probably over a year and, and I, I probably wasn't the best employee. You know, I kind of, I, I showed up to work. But I wasn't doing my best work. Um, and fortunately, I, I've, for the most part, I've, I've, I've been able to have really good managers and can been able to kind of, they, they would understand situations. And, and that was hard. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, am I ever going to, am I going to get through this? And, and I think it has become, you know, when I'm going through challenging times now or have been through challenging times, it's like, that was hard and I made it through it. Yeah. Um, and also it's like, I know a lot of other people that, that have made it through it as well. And so how, you know, I, I, I that, that really set a tone that, okay, I can, I can get through some of these challenging things. Yeah. So it, it was, it was, a, it was one of the, the harder things I've had to go through. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm there with you. I had a very similar experience where, you know, incredibly difficult, dark days, didn't, didn't know kind of how I would actually come out of it, but I'm curious what helped you move past? What were the things that kind of brought you to out of that funk and, and, yeah. you know, onto the next? Yeah. So I talked to other people who went through something similar. Mm. Um, you know, I did go, you know, talk to a, you know, a, a psychologist to, you know, kind of help understand, help process it a little bit. But then I talked to other people who'd gone through it and what did they do? And you kind of, it's like, okay, you've just been knocked off your feet. And eventually you have to start to stand up again. Yeah. You got to go out on a date every once in a while. <laughs> um, and and, it, and I remember it was weird. It's like, all right, I'm going in my mid thirties asking somebody out on a date and I'd been married for a little while and, and it was uncomfortable. Yeah. But I kept thinking about the people that had gone through it. Yeah. They survived. And the number of people that came out of it and are happier because of what they went through. And I will tell you, I'm in the greatest situation ever now. And I love it. And we've you know, been together for 17 years and I've got two great kids. So it just talking to those folks, understanding that I will get through this. It takes time. Yeah. And that's normal. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and being able to recognize it's normal and, and, and you're going to survive. Yeah. You know, what strikes me, Brian, here a little bit interesting is that you said two things. You said, I talked to other people and I had to get a little bit more, you didn't say it exactly this way, but basically I had to be more comfortable with being uncomfortable. It was a very uncomfortable place to be. And it sort of strikes me that's kind of the marriage in the book, right? You talk to these people and then you're sort of marrying some of these aspects of endurance athletics, right? So there's that uncomfortable, I could never do a marathon, uh, sort of woven together with talking to people. So it's just interesting to me that there's a parallel there. Well, I mean, there's, there's a couple things. When you think of EPIC, the, so EPIC stands for the E is how do you envision the big things in life? Um, the P is how do you put a plan in place? I is how do you iterate to that plan, work up to it? You don't start off running a marathon, you start off running the 5K. Um, the C is how do you collaborate? Um, so we'll come back to that in a moment. And then, and then you perform. 
So that collaborate is somebody has been through what you want to go through or are going through ahead of you. Yeah. Uh, and like, there's very little new stuff that's out there. <laughs> so true. Um, <laughs> I mean, oh my God, it's, I mean, even you think about, okay, we want to put people on Mars. Okay. We've put people on the moon. We have put people in space. So putting people on a different planet or on, a, on another planet. Yeah, that's new. But so many of the components aren't new. Hmm. flying people there, having them out in, in that type of environment for long periods of time. So we've experienced that. And so part of what I talk about in the book is how do you talk to people who are, have gone through it, whether successfully or unsuccessfully and learn from them. And so that's why, you know, going through the divorce, I, you know, I remember talking to a good family friend and, and her husband had had an affair and they were still married like 50 years later. And so I wanted to understand, okay, so, so that can happen. Cause you that's know, it's a time, possibility. So that, right. yeah, that's, that's a possibility. Cause in my mind, it wasn't a possibility Sure. and we hadn't decided to get divorced at the time, but it was like, okay, so that is a possibility. And then it's asking all those other questions is, do you want to make that a possibility? So it's, it's uh, that, that collaborate part, whether it is, you know, going through what I went through or whether it is trying to figure out how do you do these you know, start your own company or start a podcast, learn from the people that have been before you. Yeah. You know, I was often hesitant to ask because, you know, when you, when you ask somebody for help, what you're saying is I can't do it. Right. And, and, you know, that, that ego gets in, it's like, well, well, I can't do it. Shouldn't I be able to do it? <laughs> Why can't I do it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, but then I, I realized it's like, okay, if I ask you for help, like I'm boosting your ego. Right. And, and I'm also, it's like, I don't know everything. Now having two kids helps me realize that I don't know everything because they tell me that all the time. So <laughs> the never ending stream of reminders. <laughs> That's right. right. Uh, well, I think what you're saying that is just so, so important is asking for help can feel super vulnerable and it can feel vulnerable for lots of different reasons, right? So it can feel yeah. vulnerable because you're somebody who feels like I shouldn't need help. Or it can feel right. vulnerable because you're somebody who thinks it'll make you look weak or, you know, there's a million reasons, but I love what you said about there's always somebody who has been through it, right? right. And we don't have to figure out everything by ourselves. There's always somebody that's been through it. There's always somebody that has probably done it better than you. Mm -hmm. And there's also probably somebody that has done it worse than you. You know, what's interesting about that is that I also, I would add that, Sometimes there's somebody that just knows the right questions to ask. So for instance, Sherry is a is a really great example of being an outstanding coach and hasn't always walked in every shoe that of, of her clients, myself included, um, but like asks really good questions. And so there's that kind of almost mentorship thing. And then there's almost like the coach thing as well. Like, and both can be really helpful and useful. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I think that's a, that's a great point, Anne. It's, it's being able to know what are the, the right questions to have to ask, yeah. you know, even, even, you know, kind of putting this book together, it's like, okay, what are the questions I have to ask in order to get to kind of where, where I am today, you know, yeah. a, a book out on the market, who, yeah. who do I ask? What do I ask? Cause, and even when I, you know, when I interviewed the hundred people, you know, I, I asked for an hour of their time and I want to make sure that I use that hour 
most effectively. Yeah. And so how do I really dig into it? So I, yeah, I, I love your point, Anne. Yeah. You know, one of the things you talk about in your book, and you talked a little bit on the podcast, and Anne and I were very lucky to see an advanced copy of the book, which was, um, so we can both like give it a big shout out. It is pretty awesome. Uh, But one of the things you talk about is the distinction between risk and fear. Mm. And then you also make the distinction between worst case scenario and realistic, most likely risk. And I think those are both really, really good distinctions. And it it made me think about just a a situation in my life where I did something that was pretty out of character for me, which is I decided to quit my job and take six months off to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Good for you. Yeah, no, it's the best decision I've ever made. But I will say I really thought it through. And for me, the worst case scenario was I won't figure it out in six months. And the worst case scenario for me wasn't I'll end up living under a bridge. <laughs> and, but I, but I, that's it, a mindset it, thing, right? Do you think, Sherry? I think it's a mindset thing, but I do think it is being really realistic because the mm-hmm. thing I really grounded myself with was okay, let's say I don't figure it out in six months. I could get a part time job at Starbucks. I could get another job I'm not happy in, you know, yeah. is, is just there's a very level setting thing about it. And, I've never heard it quite articulated as this differentiation between worst case scenario and realistic, most likely risk. Mm. You know, and that came from somebody I was talking to and we were asked, I was asking about, you know, how do you manage some of these difficult situations? And this guy, so he founded a company that I worked for, ended up selling it for a couple billion dollars. This guy's a phenomenal skier. He skis wherever he wants. So I was talking to him as the founder of the company who put a lot of risk early on and we can get back to risk and fear in a moment. But I also was talking to his ski coach who teaches that, that, um, that guy how to, how to ski. And he goes, you know, when I'm teaching somebody and they're standing on top of a cornice and they're looking down and it's really scary, we often think of that worst case scenario, which is I'm going to fall and die. Hmm. And, and worst case scenario is really, it involves death, total annihilation. It involves losing all your money. You know, it's, it's, we all, we, our mind is really good at going there. And, and what both of these guys said is they said, a lot of things have to go wrong before the worst case scenario kicks in. Hmm. So how do you look at those more realistic worst case scenarios? Yeah, at some point you got to think about the worst case scenario, but what is that realistic worst case scenario? And and that thing about, I love that thing, I love about risk and fear. We're not really good at, as as a species of, of analyzing risk. My wife and son were in a car accident a couple of weeks ago. The car was totaled. They walked away and they're fine. But we think, and and they will get back in the car. And so when you think about, okay, we're generally not afraid to get in the car and go driving, but think of all the people who are afraid to get in an airplane and fly. Sure. And you look, if you just look at the statistics, the amount of people that die in a plane crash, like there were a number of years where nobody died on a U.S. commercial airline. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. And then you look over like a six, six year period and there were like 70 people that died. I forget the exact numbers off the top of my head. And that's because one year they had 50. Hmm. You know, and so it's like flying is so safe. 
compared to driving, but it's the flying that we're worried about. And I'll often say to somebody who's, who's afraid to fly, it's there's a greater chance you're going to die on the way to the airport <laughs> than, than actually in the, the air, air than, than, than <laughs> in the air. So we just don't assess risk and fear well, really well. And we, we overplay that worst case scenario a yeah. lot. So yeah. I, I love how you, you looked at it. It's like, okay, in six months, if I don't have a job, I can get, I can go to st- Starbucks. That's so, right. It was the same question that when, when we traveled around the world the first time, it's like, all right, I'll come back if I, if I don't have my job available at the company and they gave me a leave of absence, I'll find something else. That's right. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing that often sort of gets us stuck, right? We, we catastrophize, we think about all that, you know, we're, we're on the, the top of the mountain, like the ski instructor right. was saying, and we think about everything that can go wrong. And so it kind of leads me to some questions around your book, right? So you've had a nice career, you've done really great stuff, done traveled around the world, done all these cool athletic events, but kind of writing a book is a little, you know, it's putting yourself out there. It's a, it can be a little scary. And so I'm wondering about your process, how I heard, definitely heard you that you knew back in college, you wanted to write a book, but how did you get to write this book? And what were some of the highs and lows of, of writing a book? <laughs> so... When, you know, when I wrote it down in college that, okay, I want to write a book, I didn't know what it was going to be about. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel like I had anything, you know, I, I finally at this point felt like I have something to say. I have some material, I have some content. You know, I, I've been around, you know, the earth for for enough to, to have something of value and hopefully will people will see it of value. So I liken writing a book to running the 200 miles around Lake Tahoe. Mm. that there is a lot of work to get to the start line. You know, it's, there's a lot of training. There's days you have to get up really early and go out and run and it may be raining and you just don't want to do it. And then you get to, it's, it's fun to get to the the finish line, but you just have those days. It's like, ah, I don't want to do it. And you have to kind of keep thinking about, all right, why am I doing this? You know, what is, what is that end result and kind of going back to, to the why. So I, there's a lot of similarities, you know, why now, you know, one, I had the, I had the, I had the desire. I think I had some, something to say, I had the time to do it and it's, it's just something I've always wanted to do. And so it was, it was a huge learning. I mean, I learned more writing it than I expected to learn Mm. just yeah. That's really So cool. what are some things you learned? You know, I, I think and 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 I had this in the original manuscript and I and I took it out is uh, and I, I don't think I shot for the fences enough in life. Mm. Um now I have no regrets on how I've kind of gotten to this point, but I thought that okay, I probably could have swung a little bit further. Um, you know, whether it was in that career, you know, I, I often think about, you know, I remember you, you be, you're in like elementary school, you're in seventh or eighth grade and you go to the school dance and, you know, I, I went to a relatively small school. So there were, there were, I think like a hundred kids in the whole school. And so at a school dance, there's going to be, you know, 30 kids. 
and, and all the boys sit on one side and all the girls sit on another side. <laughs> and, and, and I remember sitting on the one side thinking, you know, a mile and a half across the gym, it seemed like there was a cute girl and it's like, oh yeah, wouldn't it be, I, I want to go dance <laughs> with her. And it's like, I was just so afraid to make that long walk because you knew you're going to walk across. And if she said no, you had the long walk back. It was three miles yeah. back. <laughs> the three, yeah, the three miles. And it was, Uphill. And, and it had just snowed. Right. <laughs> so you knew it was going to, oh, it's going to be a long walk back and it's going to be that shame. And it's like, and so I think there's a period of time where it's like, I didn't want to hear no, I didn't want to fail. And I probably could have pushed a little bit further. Um, but then there's also that part I look at, it's like, it's sometimes by playing it conservatively, it allowed me to get to a certain point along a path and kind of get to where I'm at. So I don't, I don't have any regrets about that, but yeah, you know, I think as I, I talk to, to my kids, it's like, you know, if, if, if somebody throws out a, a crazy opportunity, you know, seriously consider doing it. Yeah, for sure. It's okay to say no, but don't say no, because you think I can't do it. Say yeah. no, because I don't want to do it. Yeah. Which is just amazing advice to give your kids. And I know none of us can go back and run a parallel experiment on our lives on what <laughs> I this. Here's what my life is. And if I did that, here's what my life is. Sliding doors. Sliding doors. Exactly. <laughs> or the midnight library. Um, exactly. But I do wonder, what do you imagine would have been different about your life if you had swung more for the fences? I think I could have pushed it further. I could have, I could have done bigger things. Mm. Um, I probably could have done bigger things in, in my career. You know, I, I look at, you know, when I did the, I did the Tahoe 200 and, and I came in 11th place. Um, there were like 70 people. There are like 70 people that actually do this, this run. And I was, I was playing it fairly conservatively in my, and when I set goals out on some of these ultra distance events, usually I'll set three goals. One is, you know, you just to finish. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is what's a realistic time that I could accomplish. And then what's a, what's a stretch goal. And I had set my stretch goal at the time to be, I think it was 80 hours that it, it was going to take. Can we just, wait, can we just have a moment of 80 hours of running <laughs> yeah. in essence? Like, wow. So I, I realistically, I knew I, uh, you know, I, I, I had a pretty, you don't, you don't do something like that thinking, oh, can I do this? It's like, you go in, it's like, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure I can do this, but it's going to push me to a limit beyond what I think. And so about a month beforehand, I was running with a friend of mine who had, who had done, done the race the previous year in its first mm -hmm. year. And he did it in, 82 hours, uh, maybe it was 80, 86 hours. I forget. And, and he looked at me, he and his wife looked at me and they said, Brian, you can probably come in top 10. Wow. And I thought, had I had this conversation three months ago, I could have trained to go into top 10. But when you're a month out for something like that, you don't want to shift your plan because you can yeah. screw everything up. And so I told my crew, I said, you know, I'm interested in top 10, but we're not going to make that decision until we're 150 miles in because I don't want to jeopardize a finish for uh, missing it. And, right. and so at, you know, at 175 miles, I was in 10th place and I was, you know, I had passed the person that was, you know, in 10 and took his, his spot and, and it's like, okay, I'm, I might, I might get it. And so I was pushing and pushing and pushing. And then I, at, at one point, five miles out, I took a hard fall 
And he ended up passing me and there was no way I was going to catch him. But had I thought about that top 10 or kind of pushed my goal a little bit further, I am fairly confident I could have reached it because I think you set this goal and you will reach to that goal. So that's right. Sometimes, sort of the Roger Barrister thing, right? Right. Like, nobody's going to yeah. be get the no. Nobody's ever going to do a four minute mile, right? And now there's kids in high school that do that, right? Sure. Which yeah. is crazy. So it's you know I I I would go back and it's like okay I'd, I'd push those goals a little bit further and I and I think I could have accomplished them. And at the same time, it's pretty awesome that you can say and I have no regrets. That's right. Right. Because I think that's, yeah. that's another, I don't know that I'd call it a distinction, but I think it's an and, right. I can see where I could have pushed myself further and I don't have any regrets about the choices that I've made. Because it's also great to now look forward. Right. right. And so what's the next thing recognizing, like, am I swinging enough for the fences? Like, right. am I pushing harder? Is there another step further that I could open up different possibilities? And it, and it really came to me, so I, I, I've done more on the bicycle than on running, but it came to me, I was doing a 300 mile one day bike ride. Um, I had done a number of 200 miles before and, and this, I figured 300 miles, that's going to take me roughly 24 hours. So I'm, I'm cycling through the night. The first time I would cycle through the night without any sleep. And I thought this, I've always wanted to understand where does the mind and the body say, Hey, we're done. Stop. Mm. Um, because you know, where is that limit? And so I've, I was kind of always pushing to see if I could find that limit. And I thought this 300 mile ride is going to be, could really be that place. I find the limit Hmm. and at mile 275 and only 25 miles to go. And earlier in the day, I had seen another cyclist die. I saw him dead on the side of the road. I had been hit with a, you know, my, myself and another cyclist collided where I needed a new wheel. And I, and it shook me up, but I get to mile 275 and I thought, you know, it was hard, but I didn't get to that limit. And that's when the book started to form is sometimes, sometimes we just, we work to our perceived limit when we could probably work a little bit past that. Yeah. So that's kind of how, where the book, I don't say you can accomplish anything, but I think you can accomplish a little bit more than you think you can. That's beautiful. Which is a really fabulous way to think about it, right? Is that, because that's really almost just pure logic. Of course, we can all do a little bit more. Right. That's right. Reach a little that's bit right. higher. That's right. You know, one of the, yeah. one of the women I interviewed, um, I was asking her kind of, you know, interviewing her and she she said, you know, my parents never told me I could be whatever I wanted, mm. but they also never told me I couldn't. Yeah. And, I, and it's just, I love that. And, and so I have to be careful with my kids. It's like, yeah, I don't think you can be whatever you want, Yeah, but I'm not going to tell you what you, you, you well, can't be. Let you, what you, your limitations are. Yeah, yeah. You figure that out. Right. Yeah. Well, Brian, you've given us so much so many great nuggets to think about. And, and you really answered our question about probably what you would give, what advice you'd give to your younger self. And so I think what we should do is maybe just wrap this up, but I'd love to hear just anything else about the book. Where can our listeners get it? Any other information you have that you want to share with us about what's coming up for you in the book? Oh, thanks, Anne. Thanks, Sherry. I mean, it's just been a joy talking to both of you. And, and I think 
I got so much out of just kind of the the couple weeks beforehand leading up to this and really thinking through these things. It's like, oh, how, how did I get to this journey? And I, and, and that's that's what I, I like. So you can go to the books on Amazon, as in all books are um, epic performances, lessons from 100 executives and endurance athletes on reaching your peak. Or you can go to epicperformances.com. So that's E-P-I-C performances with an S dot com. And you can you can learn more Then connect up with me on LinkedIn or all the other social media. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll put all your information and, and all of that in the show notes and links to, to how to get the book. Mm-hmm. But um, I just really want to say thank you so much for joining us today. It's been just a delight to get to know you a little bit more and to hear about the book. I will admit that I read probably the first 30 or 40 pages, but now I need to go back and, <laughs> and now that it's officially out, I'll buy my own copy and read some more of it. Great. Yeah. And ditto to everything Anne just said. Just so appreciative that you were here. And it's just been a great conversation. And that wraps up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes or post it to your own social media. You can find info and previous episodes at flowingeastandwest.com. And please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life.